To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. What do Messianic Jewish leaders believe? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. Would it concern you to know that your pastor or rabbi or congregational leader holds heretical beliefs? Well, I was astonished that some of them actually admitted to me that they did in the 2020 Messianic Leaders Survey I conducted through MJMI. But the good news is, the vast majority of Messianic Jewish congregational leaders in America hold firmly to the core tenets of our faith. And yet, their views on Torah, Israel, and other doctrines are far from identical. Today, I want to give you a little insight into the minds of Messianic Jewish leaders by sharing with you just some of what I learned in the Messianic Leaders Survey. Let me start by giving you some brief background about the survey. Of the 259 Messianic Jewish congregations we could identify in the U.S. at the time, we were able to collect responses from 90 of their senior leaders, about 87% of whom are Jewish. The survey consisted of 145 questions covering areas such as the leader's religious upbringing, family life, the nature of their congregational ministry, and their ventures into Jewish evangelism, to name a few. The goal of the survey, which was conducted from late 2016 through mid-2018, was to identify current demographics as well as patterns and trends of practices and beliefs among American Messianic leaders and their congregations. While the majority of congregations in the U.S. are affiliated with either the IAMCS, the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues, or the UMJC, the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations, we were also able to sample leaders from the UMJA, Tikkun, CTOMC, AMC, and leaders who are unaffiliated. More than three-quarters of the survey responses are from leaders affiliated with either the IAMCS or the UMJC, with IAMCS leaders being overrepresented in the survey, making up more than half of all the respondents. With Messianic leaders themselves being such a small group to begin with, along with the moderate sample size, the survey results have a statistically valid 90% confidence, but with a 7% margin of error. Now, I've been in the Messianic Jewish movement for over 25 years, and I've dedicated my life to this cause because I believe that Jewish people in the body of Messiah have an unrealized purpose that only Jewish people can fulfill. God chose Israel to be his peculiar people and the national agent for the reconciliation of the whole world to their creator. In Acts 13.47, Paul quotes Isaiah 49.6 to make this very point. For so has Adonai commanded us. It is too slight a thing that you are to me for a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved ones of Israel. And I have given you for a light of the Gentiles to be my salvation to the end of the earth. So the job of the Messianic Jew begins with the salvation of the Jewish people, but ultimately it's to be a light of salvation to the entire world. And the fulfillment of that purpose and calling is made possible 
only in our acceptance of the Messiah Yeshua, whose light it is that we, as Messianic Jews, uniquely shine. So my reason for conducting this survey, then, was to determine where we might be as a movement along the path toward fulfilling this call. Based on my understanding of the scriptures, I feel pretty confident in what I think our movement should be, what it should be about, and what we should be doing. But did other leaders feel the same way? Are we all pulling toward the same goal? Are we all perfectly united in the same mind and the same judgment, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10? And that's why the largest portion of the survey focused on theology and beliefs. Do leaders of the American Messianic Jewish movement believe the same things? What is the foundation of our ministries and objectives? So I've selected just a handful of what I think are some of the more relevant and intriguing survey results to share with you so that you can get a feel for what Messianic Jewish leaders tend to believe and where the movement might be fulfilling the word of God or not. So let's start with that topic. The survey asked the leaders to respond to theological statements on a five-point scale ranging from strongly agree to strongly disagree. And the first set of statements we made were designed to assess their views on Scripture. The first statement was, Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is the solely sufficient and supreme guide for all faith and practice in the Messiah. And the results were extremely positive, as hoped. The large majority, 91% of leaders, agreed or strongly agreed that the Scriptures are solely sufficient and supreme. Unfortunately, 5% of the leaders actually disagreed or strongly disagreed with that statement, and the rest had no opinion. For me, that there isn't unanimous agreement on this point is troubling. This is the foundational question from which all other answers flow. So while it's heartening that the overwhelming majority share this starting point where the scriptures are concerned, nearly one in ten don't. Next, the leaders were asked to respond to this statement about the authority of Scripture. Scripture is our highest written authority, for example, higher than tradition, Talmud, science, etc. And again, the leaders overwhelmingly agreed. This time, a whopping 97% either agreed or strongly agreed that Scripture is the highest written authority, while about 2% disagreed. So this says to me, based on these last two questions, that a small percentage of leaders, about 6%, while they believe that Scripture is the highest written authority, they also disagree that Scripture alone can guide our faith and practice in Messiah. That's an interesting result, because I think it foreshadows the responses from another question we'll see in a minute, as well as call into question some leaders' stated conviction about the sufficiency of Scripture. Perhaps it's not as strong as they think. And that 2% who disagreed also makes me wonder what written authority they consider higher than Scripture. The next statement about Scripture that the leaders were asked to respond to was this. All Scripture is God-breathed, without error, and absolutely trustworthy in the original manuscripts. And again, we got a very similar result as with the previous questions. 96% of leaders either agreed or strongly agreed that the Scriptures are without error and therefore fully trustworthy. The anomalies here, of course, are the leaders who apparently don't find Scripture fully trustworthy, which is a disturbing trait to find in a Bible teacher. But setting these small minorities aside, the fact that there's such overwhelming agreement on these three fundamental beliefs about the Bible 
ought to be encouraging to us that a solid foundation is there, even if it isn't always worked out in practice. And that brings us to the last statement about Scripture that the leaders were asked to respond to, which was this. Our understanding of Scripture can be informed by Judaism, Talmud, etc. And though I expected these results, it doesn't make them any less paradoxical, if not disappointing. Because 79%, almost four in five leaders, either agreed or strongly agreed that the Word of God can be informed by Judaism. This means that out of the 91% who said that Scripture is sufficient and supreme, and the 97% who said that Scripture is the highest written authority, that more than four out of five of those leaders think that Judaism can help to teach us how to understand Scripture. I find this contradictory because if we hold to a high view of Scripture, then how can a non-Messianic Judaism inform us about the truth of God's Word? It can't teach us about Yeshua because Judaism's concept of Messiah doesn't resemble what the Word says. And it can't teach us about Torah because Judaism's Torah is shrouded and protected by the oral law, which Judaism says is as authoritative as Scripture. How do you square that circle? Now, obviously, most leaders have reached a different conclusion on this than I have. For example, they may cite the similarity between some of the things Yeshua taught and certain things found in the Talmud. But what does it mean if we then conclude that Yeshua was teaching or influenced by oral tradition, which he often railed against? Is it supposed to mean that Messianic Judaism is actually nothing more than that, just a Judaism that happens to be Messianic? Or does it mean that God inspired the writing of the Talmud, just like he breathed the words of Scripture? If so, where does such a belief leave the authority of the Bible, not to mention the authority and messiahship of Yeshua? But whatever arguments one might make for looking to post-temple rabbinic Judaism for answers, and as usual, I say none of this to disparage Judaism, but rather to elevate Scripture, the fact of the matter is that Judaism is only accepted as an informative voice for Messianic Jewish theology because it's Jewish, because these are our ancestors, our people. We wouldn't think of looking to the Quran or the Book of Mormon to help us understand Scripture, but because Jesus is Jewish— and he was embedded in the Jewish society and culture of his day, we reason then that Judaism should be allowed to influence our faith and practice. But Judaism and the Jewish faith as taught to us in the scriptures aren't the same thing. Based on the scriptures, I don't see Yeshua or Paul or any of the other New Testament writers supporting the idea of embracing the teachings of Judaism. Paul even talked in Galatians 1 about his advancement in Judaism, about being zealous for the traditions of the fathers in the past tense. So the belief that Judaism or any other religious system can inform our understanding of Scripture is of big concern for me. Next up is a sampling from the general theology section in which we ask the leaders to agree or disagree with different theological concepts. And the first one we asked them about was, the doctrine of the Trinity or triunity of God. And almost 80% either agreed or strongly agreed with it. This high level of agreement comes as no surprise given that this is a foundational doctrine of Christianity. However, the reasons for disagreement among the remaining 20% isn't necessarily cause for alarm. Most of the disagreement is likely due to objections to the limitations and nature of the Christian doctrine which isn't explicitly expressed 
in Scripture. I don't think this is a reflection of any denial of deity or the nature of Yeshua, especially given what we see in the following two questions. Next, we ask the leaders to agree or disagree with this statement, Yeshua is fully human. And I hate to keep focusing on the negative, but while 96% of leaders agreed or strongly agreed that Yeshua is indeed fully human, 4% disagreed. This is one of the shockers of the survey, along with the results of the next question, where we ask them to agree with the statement, Yeshua is fully God. And here, 98% agreed or strongly agreed that Yeshua is fully God. 2% disagreed. So for me personally, agreement or disagreement on the doctrine of the Trinity is irrelevant next to the specific issues of the deity and humanity of Yeshua. Denial of either one of these objectively provable biblical truths is nothing short of heresy. And the fact that we have well-known leaders within Messianic Judaism who deny these truths ought to make us far more conscious of whom we appoint and whom we accept as leaders and teachers. And if we see this in Messianic leaders, I guarantee we have them in Christianity as well. Four or even 2% of leaders who hold heretical beliefs are four or 2%, too many. I strongly encourage you to make sure one of them isn't yours. And speaking of denying biblical truth, the survey uncovered some more when we asked the leaders to agree that there is a literal hell where sinners live in eternal torment. And while the large majority of 83% either agree or strongly agree that there is a literal hell, nearly a fifth of leaders disagreed, strongly disagreed, or had no opinion. Now, I'd like to think that there's some kind of nuance that these leaders are holding to, which would convince them to apparently deny an obvious passage such as Matthew 25, where the master speaks explicitly of eternal fire and eternal punishment. But unfortunately, I doubt that any denial can be biblically justified. The deity and humanity of Yeshua, and even the existence of eternal punishment as juxtaposed with the promise of eternal life, are central and key to the entire message of the good news. What are we offering and teaching people if we've cut out and denied the heart of that very message? Other general theology questions that we asked included agreement with the statement, the charismatic gifts, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, etc., are for today and 79% either agreed or strongly agreed, although this result was surely skewed at least a little bit by the overrepresentation of leaders from the IAMCS who took the survey. IAMCS leaders tend to share this agreement about the charismatic gifts. It should be noted, however, that agreement with this statement doesn't indicate any particular set of practices with regard to the various spiritual gifts. The exercise of charismatic gifts varies widely among believers. And we also asked the leaders to agree or disagree with this statement. The earth was created approximately 6,000 years ago in six literal, approximately 24-hour days. And only half of the leaders either agreed or strongly agreed that the earth isn't millions or billions of years old, with about a quarter of the leaders believing that it is that old and about another quarter having no opinion. This question was included to determine how literally leaders take the plain sense of Scripture or whether they tend to interpret the Bible according to their own reasoning. Now, aside from questions about the authority of Scripture and general theological questions, 
Much of what the survey focused on were areas of Messianic Jewish culture and theology. For example, we asked the leaders to agree or disagree with this statement. Jewish believers are obligated to keep Torah. And here's where we start to see more diversity of opinion. While 64%, nearly two-thirds, either agreed or strongly agreed that Jewish believers are obligated to keep Torah, the strength of agreement wasn't as strong as we saw with the earlier questions. Only 30% strongly agreed with the statement. On the other side of the issue, more than a third of the leaders either disagreed, strongly disagreed, or had no opinion. This spread easily explains how Messianic Jewish congregations can be so diverse in their relationship with the Torah. That said, while I can understand the different viewpoints here, even though I disagree with the side that disagrees, what troubles me is how the responses here compare to that of the next question in which we ask them to agree with this statement. Jewish believers should participate in the traditions of Judaism. Now, again, I'm not wholesale against the keeping of Jewish traditions, even though I strongly believe that it can't be at the expense of Scripture. But look at the responses to this question. 75% of leaders either agreed or strongly agreed that Jewish believers should participate in the traditions of Judaism. That's 11 points higher than those who think Jewish believers are obligated to keep Torah. Torah is scripture. So these responses seem upside down to me. Now, I get that people tend to conflate Torah keeping with tradition keeping, but our obligation and dedication should be to the scriptures, not man-made traditions, even Jewish ones. Jewish tradition is and has been subject to change, but God's Torah will always be the same until heaven and earth pass away. One question where we saw a very even distribution among the responses was when we asked them to agree or disagree with this statement. It is important to recognize and maintain ethnic distinctions between Jew and Gentile in the Messianic congregation or community. While almost 15% had no opinion, the agreement and disagreement was virtually split well within the margin of error. The importance or relevance of ethnic distinctions in a Messianic congregation is a vital issue that leaders need to come to terms with. Is it a Messianic Jewish congregation that also includes Gentile believers? Or is it a Messianic community designed for both Jews and Gentiles? A one new man community, as it were. Or is it some other animal? One isn't necessarily more biblically correct than the other because we're talking about modern congregations here, not spiritual equality in Messiah but it does speak to the mission and purpose of that congregation, and whether or not it's being considered Messianic Jewish requires the actual presence or distinction of Messianic Jews. So, where Messianic Jewish culture and theology is concerned, the survey yielded a lot more diversity of opinion among the leaders. And those viewpoints are evident in the prominent expression and practices within their congregations. And finally, the last portion of the survey I'd like to share with you today asked the leaders to define different terms related to Messianic Jewish theology. We first asked the leaders to define Israel, and we offered them a few options. They could also enter their own definitions. And unfortunately, only 31% of the leaders came up with the biblically compatible answer that Israel is all Jewish people everywhere. The second most popular answer at 18% was a country in the Middle East, the homeland of the Jewish people. It's a common misnomer to call the land of Israel, Israel. 
And after that, at 11% was the answer that's behind a lot of confusion in the movement that Israel is all Jewish people plus Gentile believers. The answer to the question of what or who is Israel is central not only to the identity of the Messianic Jewish movement, but the entire body of Messiah and the world. Even Christianity has a problem with this question since Christians often see themselves as having replaced Israel as God's people. Surely that theology has influenced even the way some Messianics understand Israel. But Israel is unique among all the nations, and if we're in confusion or disagreement over something as fundamental as who is Israel, then Israel will be unable to function and fulfill her purpose to the world. We then asked the leaders to define the term Messianic Jew, and again offered them some suggestions. The most popular answer at 43% was, any Yeshua believer of Jewish descent, regardless of cultural expression or congregational or church affiliation. Behind that, at 27%, was the response, Yeshua believers of Jewish descent that practice a messianic form of Judaism. So again, while there's no biblical answer to this question, 20 or 30 years ago, this second answer probably would have been in the top spot, or perhaps even the next most popular response, Yeshua believers of Jewish descent that belong to a messianic Jewish congregation. This evolving definition of messianic Jews speaks to the declining emphasis on Jewish identity and lifestyle as factors for distinguishing between a believer who is simply of Jewish descent and a Jewish believer who practices a more Jewish form of the faith, as opposed to a Christian one. The diversity of responses to this question actually cut against the grain of the next one, because we then asked the leaders to define Messianic Judaism. And while there was no strong majority, the most popular answer at 24% was a sect or branch of, or movement within Judaism. This was followed by a movement of Jewish Yeshua-believing congregations and groups, the unity of Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, and biblical Judaism at 19, 17, and 16% respectively, all within the margin of error. Now, whether Messianic Judaism is an appropriate name for our movement, or whether Messianic Jews should see themselves as being under the big tent of Judaism, or Christianity, or neither, or both, is an important discussion to have. But what I see here is a stunning lack of unity on our self-definition. If we're all part of the same movement, then what kind of movement do we have if we fail to agree on the most basic terms? And this brings us to our final definition, where we ask the leaders to define the primary purpose of Messianic Judaism. And while the most popular response at 33% was to provide Messianic Jews with a community and congregational context to express their faith in Yeshua, and the second most popular response at 14% was the salvation of the Jewish people, not one leader responded in agreement with Isaiah and Paul that our purpose as Messianic Jews is to be a light of salvation for the Gentiles. No doubt the Messianic Jewish movement was born out of the camaraderie and realization that Jews could remain Jewish while believing in Jesus. And no doubt the early movement was fueled by a zeal to expand the new Messianic Jewish community and to save and to reach other Jewish people for Yeshua. I still share that deep desire. But neither of these important and necessary steps should have been the primary goal of our movement. We should have been thinking and acting and praying and planning with an eye toward 
reaching the nations such that Messianic Jews would no longer be just a curious Hebraic oddity, but a humble, scripturally sound servant to all. So while the leaders of the American Messianic Jewish Congregational Movement largely agree on many of the fundamentals of the faith, it's our lack of unity in beliefs, practice, and self-definition that keep us from collectively fulfilling the ancient purpose of our lives. The prophet Amos says, Can two walk together if they have not first agreed to meet? How can we hope to accomplish anything collectively as a movement if we're satisfied to labor alone, unmovable in our commitment to our own customized sets of practices and ideas? The Messianic Leaders Survey revealed both encouraging and troubling patterns in the Messianic Jewish movement. And it's up to each of us to decide if or how we're going to respond to those trends. So whether we're leaders or laity, let's stop permitting ourselves to mix the ideas of men with the perfection of God's Word. Let's determine to start moving together toward the same goal by agreeing to let Scripture be the uncompromised authority of our ancient and Jewish foundation. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI with your much-needed donations. Of course, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring the bell to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, leave me a comment or shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom. Shalom.